Welcome to the Christian Center's Sermon of the Week. Acts is neatly divided into two sections. The first section is the story of, of Peter. And then, then the last part of Acts is actually the story of Paul and his persecution and, and what he had to go through. We also know that Acts is the only biblical book that gives us the chronicles of the new church just after Jesus' ascent. So there's so much that we can learn from the church of God. There's so much truth that we can take out from what was learned and what was taught by Paul and, and what was taught by Peter. And what's so amazing is that the church of Acts, within three um, decades, 30 years, a number of fearful people, testified, witnessed, spread the word so that the truth of Jesus Christ and the fact that he raised, was raised from the dead spread to the known world at the time. So this morning, it just makes sense for us to pause a little bit and learn from the truths of Acts. If we continue, then I'd like us to start with a very known scripture. And that's in Acts 1 verse 8. And we all can quote it. And it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We take the scripture and we thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit we thank him for the power, but if we look at Acts 1 verse 8, it actually summarizes the whole book. Because Acts 1 to 8 describes the gospel being declared to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. Then if we look at Acts 9, it tells us the story of Paul. What happened to him? Um, the light and the change in his whole life. And then chapters uh, 10 to 12 the gospel goes into um, Caesarea, Samaria, and into the Gentiles in Antioch. And then from Acts 13 to 28, the gospel is then spread right up to um, Galatia, Macedonia, Greece, and Asia. Now today, I'd like us to pause with Acts 24 and 25. Because last week we read Acts 24. This week we're going to read Acts 25, and my apologies for the small print, but I really tried to condense it as much as I could. Acts 24 and 25 tells almost the same story. It is Paul that's in trouble, but in trouble for speaking his faith and speaking the truth. In Acts 24, what happened before that Paul was in Jerusalem and he started preaching in the temple about Jesus Christ, the, resurrection, the resurrected one. And the Sanhedrin, who was the Jewish council, said, but we don't really like the stir and the riots that you're causing. So they wanted to charge him. And he came um, before the ruler in Jerusalem, and he listened to the charges, and he couldn't find reason to actually charge Paul. So now you have Jews, you have, a, you have Paul, and you have a situation that the ruler of that 
city doesn't really know how to manage. So he thought, for now, let's just take Paul to Caesarea. Caesarea is the, head, is the capital city of Judea. So that was about 70 miles away from Jerusalem. So the Jews were so upset that when they, when they heard that Paul isn't going to be trialed, that there was actually a conspiracy to say, okay, if the ruler of the day doesn't deal with Paul, we will deal with him. So there was a conspiracy where 40 men said, on the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea, we will actually hijack the whole lot and we will kill Paul. And the ruler heard about that. So he sent soldiers, I think it is 200 soldiers, to take Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea. So in Acts 24, Paul arrives and he is now in Caesarea under, this, under the, um, the governor Felix. Now, Felix is a questionable character. If you read Acts 24, Felix is, is open for suggestions, and Felix is not sure about who he is, and he keeps Paul under guard. But every now and then, he would call Paul, and then he will have a discussion with Paul. And he, he actually calls Paul because he hopes that in this discussion, Paul, or maybe some of Paul's followers, will bribe him to let Paul go free. But what does Paul do? Every time that he gets an opportunity to speak to Felix, he just testifies. And he just tells him about Jesus Christ. So you read that repetitively. Felix would call Paul. They'll have this discussion. Felix would see, but Paul is not going to offer him a bribe. And then um, he listens a little bit. And then he gets a bit frustrated and he let Paul go back into um, cap captivity or imprisonment. So that is under Felix, and that went on for about two years. So chapter 25, there's a, new, there's a new governor of Caesarea, and that is Festus. So when you're new, and you don't have the background, what do you do? You try and inquire, what is the political situation? Um, why is this man in prison? Why do you have that regulation or that rule? So what Festus did, one of the first things, he went back to Jerusalem, and he said, listen, there's somebody in Caesarea that's, that's in jail. What is the story? And where does he go to get an answer? To the same Sanhedrin that wanted Paul to be on trial in Jerusalem. So the, the Jewish leader said, listen, you are new. Do the right thing. Get Paul from Caesarea back to Jerusalem because they know on the way they still have the... Um, the they're going to handicap the whole thing and the conspiracy to kill him. And Festus wasn't too sure what to do. So he, in, actually, in actual fact, he went back to Caesarea and he said to Paul, listen, let's, let's go to Jerusalem and sort this thing out. I don't think you need to be in prison. Let's just sort this out. Paul refused because he knew that he was going to be judged unfair. And that's where Paul started and he said, listen, you want to judge me under Jewish law, but I am a Roman citizen. So that just means that I do not fall under Jewish law. There must be a higher authority. If you want to charge me, charge me, uh, let a higher authority come and, and charge me. So at the end of chapter 25, the king um, actually comes past Caesarea at Agrippa, and then Festus spoke to the king. And you know, the king came to Paul. And he spoke to Paul and he said, Paul, what is the story? And if you read, 
even to that high authority, Paul shared his whole testimony. He shared what happened with him. He shared the road to Damascus and the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is alive. Now, if we look at these two stories, we can very easily, well, when I read it, immediately I placed Paul on some sort of a pedestal. I thought to myself, what a man. That amidst injustice, amidst adversity, it just seems that Paul was always just ready to go. Now, if you read in Acts 20 verse 24, Paul says, I consider myself or my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel and the grace of God. And again, I thought to myself, I want to be like Paul. I want to demonstrate his strength in any situation. I don't think Paul was disrespectful to any of the leaders. I think he came respectfully, even with Agrippa. He said to King Agrippa, he says, you know what? I'm a Pharisee. So I know what it is. I know what you know about Pharisees. So, so in that, the fact that I'm a Pharisee, I tell you that Jesus Christ came and he changed my life. So he, he addressed Agrippa with, with respect. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. Paul says, Yeah, that's on the same slide. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the truth. I had to pause a little bit here because I thought about myself and my life and I thought, yeah, if only I was like Paul. If I could only face my fears, my challenges in the way that Paul did. And then I remembered, Paul wrote a few letters to to Timothy, for one. And you know, he also wrote a, a number of letters in the New Testament. And I, the picture that I have now that I explained was sort of Paul's persona in public, where he was the strong man, steadfast, unmoved, always at the right answers, ready to, to witness, to testify, and to proclaim the truth. Then I started reading Timothy, and I want to call it Paul in private. And there I read, he said to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. And has gone to us because they love this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. And I thought to myself, here we have a man that in a public space is this mountain. But here in, in private, he starts showing some emotion. He actually says, Timothy, please come to me. Because the one that I relied on here chose to, to desert me. He says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus, and Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. He says, please get Mark and bring him with you. Because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I started hearing somebody that in his private life 
is saying stuff that I sometimes say. I need somebody. I feel alone. I need some support. I relied on people and they're not here to support me. I relied on financial uh, hope or income. It's not there. And, and it started resonating with me because here we have this public persona that in private is saying things that I sometimes say. He says further on in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 18. At my first defense, no one came to support me. He actually saying, I was alone. He says, but everyone deserted me. And then I underlined that, may it not be held against them. When I read that, it sort of felt as if Paul said, I... I want to be angry at them, Lord. Or Timothy, I want to be angry at those people that left me alone. But then in his heart, he made a decision and he said, may it not be held against them. I don't know if you, if you understand what I'm trying to say. We can easily get involved in, in the story of Paul and we can remove ourselves from it and say, I'll never be a Paul. But when we understand that Paul had to face the same things that we had to face, then I must say, but there's something that Paul understood that you and I, it's going to be helpful if we also understand that. And I believe the key that I want to share with you this morning, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will open this up. The key of this, we read in Acts 2, Verse 36. And it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. We sang this morning, it was, it was awesome, the testimony of our mouth this morning. But Lord and Messiah. Lord actually means master or owner. We can almost say under new management. Messiah means savior. And, and I want to suggest that most of us in this audience, we know Christ as our savior. And thank God for his, for the, for his son that came and that he actually pulled us out where we were that he saved us and, and that our feet is on the rock and that we know salvation, that he's cleaned us. Thank God for salvation. But if I read this and I understand this, then it says, know him as your savior, but also know him as your Lord. As, with all respect, sometimes a savior is somebody like when we go to the beach and we get our tiles, towels and we get ready to swim, we see the lifesavers, we see the flags, and we see that they are on duty. And we, when, when we want to go into the surf, we know there's, there's people watching us. So we start with this activity and we swim 
And then we look back and we see the flags and we realize we're drifting a little bit. Then you'll hear the whistle of the lifesaver. And when you hear the whistle, you will see somebody saying, please move that way. So we look at it and we move a little bit and then sometimes it comes to mind, but I'm a strong swimmer. You know, I, I won't be in trouble. And you ignore and surely you get into trouble. And now everything that you ignored becomes so real because you hope that the lifesaver is going to see you. You hope that before you, you, you swallow too much water that somebody will come to your rescue. And he does that. He comes and he'll take you, swim with you to the shore. And once you breathe normally, the lifesaver will probably say something like, but you shouldn't have. I've warned you. But I'm so glad that we could rescue you in, you in time. But now next time, please, when you see the flags, stay within the flags. There's a current. So we warn you about the current. So now we're saved. We go home. But there's no relationship we have with the, savior, with the lifesaver. So next time when we go to the beach, we, almost, we, we do the same thing. And, and this to me is, the, is almost a demonstration that with all due respect, that we sometimes do in our lives. We know God is our Savior. And we call on Him and every time He will come and save us. But isn't He this morning, one of the songs said, I love you too much to stay the same. Something needs to happen. Paul's road to Damascus, he saw the light and everything changed for Paul. Everything, the way he thought, the way he, he spoke. I want to encourage us this morning. Let us move beyond Christ being our Savior. And I thank him for that. But also being Christ, our Lord, our Messiah. I've got three points. And I want to call it under Lordship. So if you haven't heard this word before, let's, in closing, let's consider Lordship. Number one, lordship demands obedience. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? Comes to mind somebody that is a keen sportsman. Let's say soccer or rugby. They would be at every practice. Let's say a soccer practice. They'd be at every practice. And they will run and they'll be the first to touch the poles and they'll do their 10 push-ups and they'll, they'll pick up the ball and they run with the ball. And then the coach would say, no, we don't pick up the ball. In soccer, you kick the ball. You say, yes, yes. So again, and when the ball comes, pick up the ball and run the ball. At the end of that day, the coach picks his team. He doesn't pick this hopeful soccer player and the soccer player would come to him and say coach but yeah I'm first touching the post I'm first doing my 10 sit-ups why don't you pick me what was his what's his answer his answer gonna say I cannot pick you until you do what I say because if I you in my team for rehearsal but there when we're on the field you cannot pick up the ball and cause a penalty so for now practice with us practice but you need to hear what I say and do what I say then I can pick you for my team and in a way it's like this as well 
we've got a savior that says, you're in my team. I'm here to help you. But you have to hear what I say. You have to grow. The second point, lordship begin in the heart. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. It actually says, for once and for all, know that Christ is Lord. When trials and tribulations come, when challenges come, it doesn't change the Lordship of Christ. He's not only the Lord when it's going well, he's also the Lord when it's not going well. Paul knew that when he had that emotions and when he had that troubles, he knew how to sit in his inner room and to talk to his Lord. I remember when I was a boy, my dad was a busybody. So weekends and holidays, we would always be busy with something. From painting cars to servicing vehicles to doing security doors, building cupboards. And this one day, we were in the garage, and we were fixing an exhaust system of a car. I was about 12 years old. And my dad asked me to go underneath the vehicle and remove a clamp, this exhaust clamp. Now, that exhaust clamp has been exposed to a lot of heat because it's on the exhaust. So I know the nut on that exhaust clamp, it's very difficult to get it loose. My dad gave me a 13 spanner, and he said, go and try. And you know, I was underneath this vehicle, and when you lie under a vehicle, there's a lot of dust and stuff, especially when you work on it, that's in your eyes. And I tried, and I tried. But that sense that came over me to say, if I don't get it right, I know I can pass the spanner to my dad, and he will fix it. And that's the closest that I can get to let us understand. He is Lord. We don't need to get it right. We need to try. We need to try again. But when we get to a point where we say, I really need somebody, it doesn't change my relationship with God. It doesn't change the Lordship. He's there. We can, so to speak, pass the spanner. And we step back. And I remember that day. I got out of the vehicle. I stood there confident. My dad will get it out. And surely it was five minutes later, Kums, here the exhaust is on the floor. Because I knew. And today I want to share that with you. I want to encourage you. If he's Lord, we try what we can. But know in your heart. Another scripture says, but set him Apart in your heart as Lord. I want to say make it up for once and for all that he is Lord. And then the third that I want to leave with you. Lordship is a continuous walk. Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. I pray that we will take from this morning, again, thank the Lord for salvation. But it cannot just be a salvation upon a salvation, and I keep doing the same things. I keep making the same wrong decisions. 
we have to open the, us to change like Paul did. And we have to walk a walk with Christ, with him as Lord. Somebody said once, if you kneel before God, you can stand up against any man. And don't we sometimes forget that. And we kneel before so many things because we don't kneel before God first.